Thank you. Well, today we're going to start a new series uh, that's going to go all throughout March as well. Uh, Loving God with all that we are. And so today we'll kind of have an introduction and overview of this series. Uh, This series is going to be based on uh, one passage. It's going to be based from Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31. Okay, so let's take a look at that. Uh, So it's a situation where one of the scribes, one of the religious leaders, is speaking to Jesus. It says, one of the scribes came up and heard them arguing and recognized that he, speaking of Jesus, um, answered them well, asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? Jesus answered, the foremost is, hear Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord with all of your heart and with all your soul, with all of your mind and all of your strength. So when we look at this uh, passage, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and there is no other commandment greater than these. So when we look at this passage, this passage talks about loving God, and This passage talks about how this is the first and greatest commandment. So there's a lot of different commandments we see in the Bible, but Jesus makes it clear. This is our first priority. This should be at the top of our list when we think about things to focus in on. The number one is to love God, to love God. And when we look at this passage, Jesus talks about not just loving God, but he gives details of what it means to love God and to follow this command. He talks about loving God with all of our heart and with all of our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. It'd be easy for him to just say the number one command, the most important thing, just love God. And just to put it simply out that way. But he doesn't do that. He gives details about what he means and what it looks like to love God. He gives a a variety of different ways that we can love God with all the different parts of who we are. Talks about our mind and our heart and our soul and our strength. He talks about all these things about who make up who we are. Um, It was about a few years ago, I was on one of my prayer walks, and you'll hear me talk about that a lot. Uh, My prayer walks have been something that I've made as a habit. It's been many, many years now where I have it, where I just walk and I talk with God. So it's me and alone with God, and I just talk with him and just listen to him. And so, especially during this COVID time, that's been so much more. It's my only time where I can get some sanity. I have to leave the house, and I have to go and to walk and to talk with God. Well, I remember it was a few years ago, I was on one of my prayer walks, and the Lord was speaking to me. And then he gave me this phrase, and I don't know if you've ever been like this, where the Lord kind of just repeats certain things to you, and it's, uh, he keeps on repeating those things for you to keep focusing on it and to soak it in. But the phrase was, uh, his, this was him speaking to me, he says, I want all of you for all of me, and all of me for all of you. He said, I want all of you for all of me, and all of me for all of you. And so when he first said that to me, I was like, I don't know what that means. Lord, what does that mean when you say you want all of me for all of you? And I just started asking the Lord about it, and I was thinking about it and pondering it. And I felt like it was similar to what we see in this passage, when Jesus talks about all the different components of who we are. And he is saying, I want all of you. I don't want just part of you. I want all of you for all of me. 
all of me, all of who I am. I want you to know every part of me. I want you to know uh, about who I am as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I want you to know every aspect of me. I don't want any stone to go unturned. And he said, this is my desire for you. And then I repeated back to him, that's my desire also. I want that too. I want all of me for all of you. And all of you for all of me every part of me. I want you in every aspect of my life. I don't want you just in a compartmentalized. I don't want you just on Sunday morning. I don't want you just when I pray or just when I go to a Bible study. I want you all of the time. I want all of you for all of me. And when I kept focusing on this and kept thinking about this, the Lord kept showing me just how much and how all-consuming this really is. And when we look at this passage in Mark 12, this is what Jesus is talking about is the first and greatest commandment, is that all of us are to love God. Every aspect of who we are is to love him. So let's take a look at that. Um, and I have a little chart up here that kind of gives a description about all of us, all of who we are. So when we think about what makes up who we are, really it's three parts. And to understand this, you have to understand Genesis 1.28, when it says that God created us in his image. In his likeness, he created us. So just as God is a trinity, is three parts, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're also three parts. Okay, it's not one for one, it's not exactly the same. We're not a trinity in that the Father is one, and the Holy Spirit is one, and Jesus is one, and that only makes up one, okay? That's a mystery. That's for another message. But today, we want to just recognize that the Holy Spirit, the Father, and Jesus are three. And we also have three parts as well. So if you look at the three parts from the inside out, it's a spirit, soul, and body. Okay, so we are composed of spirit, soul, and body. Okay, and if you can really understand this, this is going to be very helpful for you in being able to apply this verse. Because as Jesus said, he wants all of us to love him. So you need to understand what all of us means. What does it mean when we want to use all of ourselves to love God? You look at these different components. You start with the innermost, the core of who we are in our being, which is our spirit. This is where God resides. When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes and takes residence in you. Where does he live? He lives in your spirit. Because God is spirit. That's where he dwells. He dwells in our spirit. So when we look at the core of our bearing, that's a spirit. That's where God dwells. The next circle out is our soul. The soul is also three parts. It's our mind, will, and emotions. Okay? Our soul is also composed of three parts. It's our mind. It's our thinking. It's our will and how we choose. And it's in our emotions and how we feel. And then lastly, on the most outer ring, is our body. Now, when you look at this, it's really important that we live inside out. And what I mean by that is you need to live from your core. You need to let your spirit drive the other two. You need, if God resides in our spirit, you need to let the spirit control your soul, which means what? It controls your thinking. It controls your choices. It controls your feelings. You need to let the spirit dictate the soul, and then the soul to dictate the body, okay? It gets messed up when it, it goes the other direction. When we let our body be in control, 
when we let our urges be in control, when we let our appetite be in control, when we let our senses be in control, and then that's what determines our thinking. That's what determines our feelings in the soul. That's what determines our choices in the will. When we look at it and it goes backwards, then we're going contrary to God's design. We need to live from the inside out where our spirit is leading. And we're going to talk about in the coming weeks, what does it mean when we let our spirit lead, when we really love God with all of us in our soul, in our mind, in our thinking, what does it mean to love God? In our will, what does it mean that we love God with our will? What does it mean, God, when we love God with our emotions? What does it mean when we do these things? That's what this, that's what this series is going to talk about. We're going to go through each one by one. And we're going to look at what does it mean to love God with all of who we are, every aspect of who we are. So when we look at this, um, when we look at this kind of diagram here, really it's a reflection. We see the, a lot of this in the passage. So if we look at the passage, we see that many of those things are named here already. He talks about our mind. And our heart, which is our emotions, and our soul, and our strength, which is our body. A lot of those things are already included in here. So when we look at this, it's already kind of there. Even more specifically is 1 Thessalonians 5.23. That says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, your whole being. May your spirit and soul and body be kept complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says it more explicitly. He says you entirely. And what is, how does he dictate it? By he dictated by our spirit, our soul, and our body. Okay, and remember when I was telling you before that nothing happens by accident in the Bible. Whenever you look at something, it's intentional, right? Whether they're repeating things or they give a list. And whenever they give a list, it's all, always in the order of priority. So when you look at the disciples, who's always first in the list? It's always Peter, then James and John. It's by priority, right? If you look at the Ten Commandments, which we're going to look at in a second, the number one is the most important. You look at the list here in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, what's first? Your spirit. Then your soul. Then your body. We need to have the order correct. A lot of times we're living backwards. And it's no wonder that we experience life less than what God desires, less than what we desire. It's no wonder that things don't, are not operating and we're not experiencing life to the fullness. We need to get things in the right order. God created us in the right order. Spirit, soul, and body. Spirit, soul, and body. So when we look at all of this, the next question is, when we look at this, how do we do that? So when we go back to this passage in Mark 12, when Jesus says, you are loved to, Lord, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And then the second commandment is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. When we look at this, it reminds me a lot of the Ten Commandments that I just mentioned. Okay, so when we look at the Ten Commandments, we're going to see this. So here's a list of the Ten Commandments. Okay, so if you have the list of the Ten Commandments, uh, it's... Interesting how it's divided up into two sections. So when we look at those two commandments that Jesus said are the first two greatest, you shall love the Lord your God and you shall love the neighbor as yourself, that really sums up the Ten Commandments. The first five represent loving God and putting him first. You should look at, number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Number two, you shall not make any idols. Number three, you shall not take the, uh, the, 
name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Number five, honor your father and mother. All those five kind of represent our relationship with God. Even number five. Number five is a human relationship, our relationship with our parents. But when we look at it in terms of the Bible, the Bible clearly states that when we look at our parents, they're supposed to represent our relationship with God. When you look at the parent-child relationship, that's supposed to illustrate the relationship between God and his children. So when we look at parents, that's the parent's calling. The parent's calling is to represent God's relationship to his children. So for parents, that's a high calling. When I think about that, that's a high calling in my life. So when we look at this, one through five, the first five are really summed up by the first commandment that he gives. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. That really is described in the first five commandments. And then the six through ten, that's loving your neighbor as yourself. That's you shall not murder, you should not commit adultery, you should not steal, you should not bear false witness, and you shall not covet. That's all the human relationships. That's loving your neighbor as yourself. So when we look at the two commands that Jesus says are the greatest, really he's just summing up the Ten Commandments. So when we look at that, but today we're going to focus on, and the whole series is going to focus on the first part, which is loving God. So when we look at God, when we look at the Ten Commandments, especially the first two, I think those two come to mind when I think about the priority he's setting, because he said, this is the greatest commandment. You need to love God. So the first commandment, he said, you will have no other gods before me, and you shall have no idols. Now, when we look at, I don't know if you've had this, and you've probably looked at this, and, and given examples of this, but they talk about different idols, right? And unfortunately, uh, for us in the United States, we don't have the same cultural background as what they were experiencing back then. Even when you read through the Old Testament, which is what I'm doing again this year, as I do every year, just reading through the Bible, going through the Old Testament, there's idols, and there's physical idols, right? There's like the golden calf, and then there's all these poles and all these different things. There's actually idols, right, where they could look at. You look in other countries, they can literally relate to that, right? You look in Cambodia and Thailand and all these different other nations. In India, there's a lot of idols, physical idols. But in the United States, not so much. Okay, it probably does exist, but not as much in our culture. So when we look at that, what is it, what is it how does that apply to us? What is an idol? Well, an idol basically is you can't have anything before God. Anything that takes God's place is an idol. Anything that takes his place. What does it mean to take God's place? Anything that he should be responsible for. Our future. Driving us. Leading us. Directing us. Saving us. Healing us. Delivering us. Those are all God's responsibility. Right? Whenever we look to something else to do that, that has become an idol. Whether it's our job. Whether it's our business. Whether it's our education whether it's our money, whether it's relationships, whether it's other people, all those can become idols. Those can take the place of God. God has supposed to be on the throne. He's supposed to control those things in our life, not those things and not those people. When we look at that, this is what Jesus is talking about when it's all of us, everything in us, everything in our life was supposed to love God. And when we look at 10 commandments, that's we shall have no other God before him. Now, when we think about that, it seems weighty to me, right? I don't know about you, but when I listen to that and think about that, that sounds very hard. That sounds very challenging, very convicting, very difficult, right? To say like everything in my life, 
I have to submit to God. Everything, all of these things. I have to let go of this, and I have to sacrifice this, and I have to do this. And it becomes like a heavy weight on our shoulders. But what I want to tell you that that's the intent in the Old Testament, actually. It is supposed to feel a heavy weight. It's impossible. You can't do it. But in the New Testament, with Jesus coming in, fulfilling the law, and the Holy Spirit coming in, this is actually supposed to be possible for us. We're supposed to be able to do this and to do it naturally. And when I think about that, there's a couple things that come to mind. Is This is difficult for us. When we think about that, this is hard for us because we have two misperceptions. Okay, first misperception is this, that we have to make God first. That's not true. Our job is not to make God first. God is already first. He's already the center. You don't have to make God the center of your life, right? So, you know, back in the day, I, forgive me, I didn't look, look back in history about the dates of when it happened. Back when they believed that the earth was the center. You know, there was a time when they believed the earth was the center, and when they believed the earth was the center, they think everything revolved around the earth, right? Was that true? That was not true. Even when they believed the earth was the center, the sun was still the center. The sun was the center of the universe. That's a good analogy of what it is, the reality with God. You don't have to make God the center. God is already the center. He's already first. He already owns everything. A cattle on the thousand hills, they're all his. Everything we have is his. Our life is his. All our relationships, they're already his. It's a false thinking when we think that they're ours and we have to hold on to it. That's what makes sacrifice difficult is that we have wrong thinking. We have the wrong thinking. I need to put God first. I need to make him a higher priority. That's wrong. That's wrong. He's already that. You don't have to put him on the throne. You don't have to put him first. You don't have to make him the center. He's already the center. Just like the sun is already the center and all the planets revolve around the sun, whether you believe it or not, whether you're living that way or not. If that's, that's your, could be your own reality, but that's not what's true. What's true is the sun is the center, that God is the center. That's already the case. You don't have to do anything to make that happen. Let that sink in for you. You don't have to do anything to make that happen. You don't have to make God first. He's already first. You just have to live that way and enjoy it. There was a time that um, the Lord was kind of working these things in my life, and he was trying to address different things that I was dealing with about different idols, you know, and just to replace him. And so he addressed this whole area of, like, how I'm using my time and how I'm choosing to, to do things. And so I was like looking at my life and looking at all the things I was doing. And I don't know about you, but I, I, I had this kind of um, habit or pattern where I would work as hard as I could during the day. And then after I take care of dinner and the chores and then my kids or whatever, then I feel like, okay, now it's my time. Now it's my time. Have you ever feel like that? Where at the end of the day, like, okay, now it's my time. And what does my time mean? My time means okay, I'm going to go on Netflix, or I'm going to go read about sports, or I'm going to go do this on ESPN, or I'm going to go do this. And this is my time now, right? So I did all my hard work. Now it's my time. So the Lord started addressing my, my time, okay? <laughs> so he was saying, look at your time. Look at and how you're addressing and how you're experiencing these things. And he was asking me this question, are you willing to, to give those things to me? And I was like, okay, let me think about the things that I'm doing. So one of the things I was doing is I was playing video games with my son. 
Okay? And at first, it was just a way to bond with him. I was like doing different video games. But after a while, I found myself playing the games when he wasn't playing. And then I'm like, okay, wait. It started out as something that I was trying to connect with my son, but now it's become something different, right? And I was looking at the video games, and then I was looking at Netflix, and I was looking at all these different things. And the Lord was asking me, are you willing to give that up for me? And it's interesting because I said, I don't want to do that. You know, I was being honest with the Lord. You can be honest with the Lord. He knows it already, okay? You're just fooling yourself. Be honest with the Lord. You can tell him, I don't want to do that. And so I told him, I don't want to do that. He said, that's okay, but you're going to live, that you're going to live as a consequence of that. You're not going to live the abundant life. And so he kept sitting with that and kept asking me, are you willing to give this up? And so one by one, I tried one at a time. Try to give one up. So I tried to give up the video games. So I deleted it from my phone. Okay, so I'm like, at first I just try like not to go on it, but then I'm like, this is easier. I just need to delete it. I just need to delete it from my phone. So I deleted it from my phone. And it says, you will delete all contents. Okay, yes, delete all contents. So I deleted it from my phone. And then he started to go into Netflix and say, are you willing to give this up? And so I gave that up. You know the last one where I couldn't, it was really, really hard to give up? was sports. I love sports. And so to me, the one he was asking me, it was during baseball season, it was the Dodgers. So he's saying, I want you to give up the Dodgers. And I was like, Lord, I gave up this one for you and this one for you. Isn't that enough? Right? But that's the feeling we have. Like, we feel like it's some kind of accounting thing. Like, is this enough? When really, that's going off of the false mentality that we own these things. And we're slowly having to open up our hand and just try to give it back to him. He already owns all of those things. And what really helped me was to think a different way, which is God already has it. So really when we're talking about surrendering and doing these things, really it's not us sacrificing, opening up our hands and doling these things and giving these to the Lord, saying that the yours is, he already has it. And so my job is to not take it back. And think about that. It changed things for me. I don't have to sacrifice and give it up. He already has it. My job is to just not take it back. And for some reason, that picture changed for me. When I pictured the Lord having these things, and he's just asking me to, to not take it back, then I felt a release. And I felt like, I don't want to take it back. I don't want to rip open his hands and to take it back. I want to just enjoy those things in him. And so that's what I really want to say. I don't want to say those things are bad. Playing the video games, you know, watching Netflix, those things are okay. You know, to a certain point, those things are okay. But you need to enjoy those things in the Lord. When those things become not okay is when you need it. And when I couldn't give it up, it's because I needed it. It's because I was running on my own strength all day that I needed an escape. I need something that's going to refresh me or renew me. I needed it, and that's why I couldn't give it up. Makes sense, right? If the Lord's asking you to give up something that you don't need, that's just like frivolous, that's something extra, that's easy. I want you to give up this thing that you never do. Okay, sure, no problem, I'll give it up. I want you to give up this thing that you need. Okay, now we have a problem, right? And he was saying to me, look at the heart of what's happening. It's replaced me. That's why I'm asking you to give it up. Not because those things are bad, and I still do those things now, but it's in a different context. When you're doing it and you enjoy it, that's good. Have you ever done it when you're doing it and you're not even enjoying it? 
you're just doing it, right? You're going, clicking onto the next one. It just goes to the next one. It goes, you're not even enjoying it, right? You can tell there's something wrong. It's become an idol. It's taking the place of God. There's something wrong on the inside that needs to get addressed. And that's why the Lord was asking me to do that. And so when we look at loving the Lord your God with all of who we are, it's really rooted in the Ten Commandments. When we look at the first and second commandment of putting God first. So the first misperception I think that makes it difficult for us to do this is that we have a misperception that somehow it's our effort to do this. That we are going to make God first. That we need to make him a priority. That's not true. He's already first. We just need to enjoy that. We need to enjoy the fact that he's first in our life. The second thing, and we'll close with this, the second thing that makes it difficult for us to, to love God with all of our heart, with all our soul, all of our mind, is that the, what makes it difficult is that we think it's difficult. We think that that's a hard thing. We think that what Jesus is asking here is hard. And what I want to challenge you today is, this is not hard. This is the most natural thing you can do is to love God with all of your heart. This is what we were made for. This is what we were created for. He's not calling us to do anything that he didn't make us to do. This is a call to be exactly who he made you to be. And because we have Jesus in our spirit is now alive, we can do that. In the Old Testament, they couldn't do that. That's why they needed Jesus. But post the cross, we do have that. We do have God's spirit come alive now. Now we can be who God created us to be, just like in the garden when he created Adam and Eve. They were just being who they are, where they were with God and walking with God in the garden and enjoying him. That's who we're supposed to be. We're not supposed to be something we're not created to be. He's not asking you to do something abnormal, that's unnatural, that's difficult, that requires hard work, that requires us to be able to learn how to do it. That's not what he's asking us here. He's asking us to do something innately we all have bred within us. Pascal called it a God-shaped void, right? A God-shaped void that's in all of us. All of us have it, that only can be filled by God. It's not hard to follow God. It's not hard to love him with all of who you are. What I would say, it's hard to not do that. And you think about that. It's hard not to love God. And I'm talking about a Christian. For a non-Christian, it's not natural to love God with all your heart, right? It's abnormal. But for the Christian, this is normal. It's actually abnormal when we don't do that. But it's the problem is we're so used to not operating that way and not thinking that way that we somehow feel like the way we're living is the natural way. When we're not loving God with all of our heart, when we're not submitted to him, when we're not, he is not Lord of everything in our life. We're so used to that, we think that's the normal. We need to have a reset in our mind to see that we are adopting a false reality and a lie. That's not true. When you're not loving God with all of who you are, that's the abnormal. That's what's not natural. But we become so accustomed to living that way, and we haven't enjoyed the fruit of living where God is over all things, that we feel like that's the normal. When I would say that's the harder way to live. I would say that's a harder way to live because you're trying to put a round peg in a square hole. You're trying to jam it in and make it fit. 
We have to push through all of the anxiety. We have to push through the lack of peace. We have to push through the lack of contentment. We have to push through the striving and the depression and the anxiety and all those things that accompany not putting God first. We have to push through all of those things. Let me ask you, which is the easier way? Which is the easier, more natural way to live? We have to change our thinking. If we don't, this is going to become a difficult exercise. It's going to become something that you have to will yourself and empower yourself, pull up your bootstraps and try to do this with all of your own strength. When in reality, this is the most natural way to live for the Christian. It's not difficult. Keep repeating that because in our mind, we feel like this is difficult because we feel like we need to make this happen. It's not natural. It's natural. This is the normal Christian life. Okay? We cannot let our experience of this other way determine what we think is true, what we think is natural. Loving God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind is the most natural thing you could ever do. We need to change our thinking. This call is a call for abundant, fruitful life. Isn't that what you want? That's what I want. Abundant, fruit-filled, life-giving, overflowing, 30, 60, 100-fold. This is the life that he's calling us to. How does that happen? When you love God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength, and don't think it's a difficult thing. Think of the other way. That's the difficult thing. So as we close, I pray that we would really come and to ask the Lord to do this. Lord, I pray that you would come and to just keep opening up our eyes, helping us to see the reality of what's really true. Help us to see that we've been believing a lie and looking at the, the, our false way that we've been experiencing thing and think that's what's true when that's not what's true that you set it up a certain way. So God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate the truth. Help us to see the reality for what it is. Help us to see you. Help us to know that you are reigning and ruling, whether we believe it or not, or experience it or not. But help us to experience it because it's so good. It's so good when you're in control. It's so good when you have everything covered. It's so good when you provide peace that goes beyond understanding and empower us. So, Lord, help us, give us the grace to be able to receive it and to respond to it. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.